I ask you if you would to take your Bibles now and turn with me in them uh, to the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. And uh, it's okay, I'm going to come out of my coat. I always feel inadequate when when uh, had the opportunity to minister God's word. So, if you would please pray for me, I, I need your prayers. Uh, but I want to read a couple of portions of Scripture. First of all, from the 42nd chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah, and the first nine verses, and then we're going to look at uh, a passage in the Gospel of Matthew as well. Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the true and living God. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And then from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 12, verses 10 through 21. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, that is our Lord Jesus, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? that they might accuse him. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out. And it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. And when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen." My beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, 
and in his name Gentiles will trust. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower thereof falls away, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. O oh, holy and loving Father, we indeed bow tonight before the sufficiency, the wisdom, the grace, and the truth of your holy word. And we would ask you as humbly as we know how that our hearts and our minds might be receptive to the truth of your word, that we would not only have your truth touch our minds, but that it would move us with the desire to live to the praise and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would not leave this place as we've come, but that your word will have drawn us even closer to the Lord Jesus. And though, Lord, as we would contemplate this, your word, the tenderness and the compassion behind our, our Lord's determination not to break a bruised reed or to quench a smoking flax, may we be given a fresh sight of the glory and the grace of our Savior and all the plentitude of his saving mercy to poor sinners. Make us, we pray, more like him, for we ask it in his name. Amen. I don't know of a text of Holy Scripture that speaks more poignantly or movingly about God's dealings with his people than this one before. It's found in both of the passages which I've read. The original, of course, is in the prophecy of Isaiah, the 42nd chapter, and it's cited word for word in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. And my text is taken from Matthew 42 and verse 3. These words, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. This is a wonderful text. <laughs> now, it may not be obvious at the very beginning. Perhaps it will become more glorious, recognizable as we move along through it. I want to begin by paying a little attention to the introductory word right at the very beginning of chapter 42, where here the prophet is giving us the first of the four great servant songs that we find in the prophecy of Isaiah. They're located in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9, chapter 49, verses 1 through 7, uh, chapter 50, verses 4 through 9, and then over in chapter 52, verse 13, all the way through chapter 53 and verse 12 of his prophecy. And here he writes, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. And then he goes on shortly in verse 3 to give us the text I'd like for us to consider tonight. Now, this part of the prophecy of Isaiah is a very significant one. In chapters 41 and 44, the prophet speaks of the appointed deliverer. He is identified in chapter 44 as that uh, 
ruler Cyrus, who would rescue God's people from the yoke that had been placed upon them by the kings of Babylon, and then send them back to their own country once again. That's an important aspect of what is told us in these chapters. But something of vastly more significance is given us in these servant songs of which this is the very first. Behold, that word is calculated to command our attention right off. It is an arresting word. It's a word by which the prophet says, the truth which I am about to reveal to you is something that you need to know and to which you are obliged to pay careful attention. And in his famous and extended discourse on this very text, you may be familiar with it, the Puritan Richard Sibbs states that this word behold is used by the prophet to raise our thoughts to the highest pitch of attention and admiration. We have our own ways of reinforcing such language, do we not? Uh, we say something like, well, that's the truth if ever I heard it. And, uh, but the thing about it is when we use that kind of rhetoric, it can, become, it can be used so often that uh, its force can be diminished <laughs> by the frequency of its use. Uh, but we may say, listen to me. Pay attention to me. You need to hear this. Here the word behold is used. And we are correct in understanding that the prophet desires that our ears be open to what he is saying as well as our eyes and our hearts and that we're to pay heed. That then in the first place. But then in the second place, you'll notice how our text is expressed. A bruised reed he will not break and the smoking flax he will not quench. He. Now who is he in this passage? Well, by comparing the passage quoted in the New Testament and applied there directly to our Lord Jesus Christ, we know that it, he is the he of whom the prophet is speaking. The bruised reed, he that is God's servant will not break and smoking flax, he God's servant will not quench. So the Lord Jesus Christ now, to be sure, is presented to us in many different ways throughout all of Holy Scripture. He is the one cradled as an infant in his mother's arms, as every other human infant has been as well. It is he who is described for us at the age of 12 as being in the precinct of the temple at Jerusalem, asking profound questions and on his own account, mind you, making deep statements which evoked and uh, elicited the admiration of those doctors of the law who were sitting around listening to him. And it is he without goods and without possessions said of himself that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And it is he who now crucified and hanging on a cross in a terrible time of darkness and dereliction cries out, My God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? And it is he who after his resurrection and immediately before his ascension back to the right hand of his father said to his disciples, those early believers, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And it is he who also said once and has ever since been pleading with sinners, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is seated presently at the right hand of his Father in supernal splendor and glory. He has rule over all. But at the same time, he is the one who in relation to those who call upon him and who look to him for help and grace, is invariably, unchangeably still the servant of the Lord who will not break the bruised reed. He will not quench the smoking flax. It is the Lord Jesus Christ then who is in view here. That in the second place. Then in the third place, you'll notice how our text is expressed. A bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench. The imagery, a bruised reed and a smoking flax, these are metaphors. They are figures of speech. We understand that. On the one hand, there is the bruised reed that is almost but not quite severed, not quite broken. And we're told that the servant of the Lord, that he's not going to snap it off. He will not consummate that process of brokenness. And the smoking flax is the wick of a lamp. It's not burning very brightly. It seems as if it is about to go out smoking and it's guttering, as it were. But the servant of the Lord, we're told, he will not quench it. He will not snuff it out. What is meant by a bruised reed and the smoking flax? Well, clearly human beings are in view here. Sinful guilty human beings, unwell in themselves to effect their own rescue. They are in a very desperate condition. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. Now the Gospels give us many illustrations of the kinds of people in view here. I think of that woman notoriously identified by Luke in the seventh chapter of his gospel simply as a sinner who came to the room where Simon the Pharisee was entertaining the Lord Jesus at dinner. And she broke over the feet of the Lord Jesus this precious uh, alabaster flask of fragrant oil and then began to wash his feet with her own hair. And Simon the Pharisee thought to himself, he says, this man, this man, if he really knew who and what manner of this woman is who is touching him, 
If he really knew, he would be appalled by that, for she is a sinner. And all the passage says of this dear woman is that she was, by way of identification, a sinner. It was well known that she was a sinner. Now, the nature of her sin is not given to us in the passage, but the strong suspicion is that if she were not a prostitute, then she was known at any rate to be a woman of loose morals. And Simon the Pharisee is sitting here shocked and he's stunned and he is utterly aghast that the Lord Jesus would even countenance this act that she is performing. She knew nonetheless that the Lord Jesus understood her heart. And as Simon the Pharisee sat there full of indignation and contempt. Jesus looks at him, and I suppose the initial expression of Jesus says it all. Simon, I have something to say to you. And when he finishes that rebuke, Simon then says, uh, Jesus then looks to the woman and he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I think also of that figure uh, who's at the very center of the parable of the prodigal, that most familiar, beautiful parable perhaps Jesus ever told. Likewise, in the Gospel of Luke, the parable, it features, you'll recall, a father and two sons, uh, the younger of whom we know as the prodigal son, brash, foolhardy, uncomprehending, uh, he demanded the inheritance of his father, and then he goes off into a far country, wasting his substance in that land with what Jesus tells us was riotous or prodigal living, spent as though there were no tomorrow. And he thought that he was enjoying himself and his friends, so they seemed to him, truly loved him for himself. But when his money was gone, his friends were gone as well. And he had had to seek work in the employment of a farmer who put him to the feeding of his swine. And there we're told that he would gladly have filled his stomach with the very pods, the husk that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, I love that phrase, <laughs> when he came to himself, that is, when he recovered his senses, he said as he rehearsed to himself, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare, and here I am perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He acted on his resolve and how different it was his trudging journey home from what it had been when he was fleeing in the other direction. But his father, his father, ever on the watch, for his son. When he was still a great way off, we're told in the, in the parable, that his father saw him, had compassion, that he ran and fell on him, and he began to kiss him and to, and to hug him with embraces. 
And the son attempts to begin that speech which he had so carefully prepared as he contemplated his return. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But scarcely had he begun his carefully rehearsed speech. But that the father interrupts what he has to say and says to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the prodigal, like the prostitute, must be embraced in the manner by what our text describes for us as the bruised reed and the smoking flax. They're both an illustration of those metaphors. Now there are many other illustrations of the same kind of thing. You'll remember the gathering demoniac as he's called and he had no sanity of mind and he was possessed of demons, legions of them, and he dwelt among the tombs, we're told in the gospel, in an unclean place, abusing himself, cutting his own flesh, utterly wild and unrestrainable, and we're told that no man could tame him. But Jesus, Jesus was not shy of him whatsoever. Instead, he addressed the demons by the sheer word of his power, and he drove them out of the man and restored the man to himself. No, he made him what he had never been, a true child of the living God. And the truth is, of course, once again, that the bruised reed and the smoking flax, these were expressions of weakness that embrace all of us as poor sinners before God. We may be successful and effective human beings, however we may define success or effectiveness. But when honest with ourselves and taking a close look at our lives, who and what we are, especially in relation to God, we understand at least something of our own poverty and our own need. We can do a great deal. Some of us can, but we cannot give ourselves forgiveness. We cannot remake our lives all over again. We cannot find a new innocence once it's been lost. And within our reach is no hope either in this present world or in the life to come. A bruised reed, you and I, he will not break. The smoking flax, you and I, he will not quench. That in the third place. But then in the fourth and last place, what is meant by this beautiful description of the servant's approach to the bruised reed and the smoking flax? A bruised reed he will not break and the smoking flax he will not quench. What is being underscored here by our Lord not breaking the bruised reed and his not quenching the smoking flax, his not extinguishing this guttering wick 
How are we to understand what is told us here? Well, I can tell you at once that a great deal is being expressed in these expressions. You see, when Isaiah gives us this song of the servant, quoted so magnificently in the New Testament and applied directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is giving us to understand that what is in view here are all sorts of human needs and conditions. The bruised reed and the smoking flax, the servant of the Lord, our Lord, deals with in a way quite other that might be supposed because he means to mend and to heal those folk he has in view. That is what is told us in this marvelous utterance of our Lord. How much faith is required to become a Christian? We sometimes speak of that, do we not? And many of us would perhaps respond to that question by saying, well, the true Christian the authentic Christian, the strong Christian, is the one who knows a lot about the gospel, has a great understanding of the scriptures and its teaching, has a firm, uninterrupted, unbroken trust in the Lord Jesus for his salvation. But is that the right answer to that question? I think it Sometimes we find it easy to confuse things that ought to be distinguished and kept apart. I know some odious people, you and I both do, who know a great deal about the gospel and make bold and boisterous claims to faith, but whose manner of life and whose attitude and disposition and Conduct all belie, contradict their expressions of confidence in God and belonging to Him. It is by their fruits, after all, that Jesus said, You will know them. How much faith is required to be a Christian isn't a matter of how much faith. Nobody is accepted before God because he or she has a great deal of faith. What matters is not the magnitude of one's faith or the scope of one's understanding, though knowledge is very important indeed. But what matters in the end is that that faith, be it weak or strong, is true faith or genuine faith. Remember the poor man who met the Lord Jesus Christ as he was coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration? We find the account in Mark chapter 4 and verses 14 and following. He had a son possessed of a demon. And Jesus spoke with him and urged him to believe. But his disciples had been incapable of handling the boy and his need. And Jesus, of course, was in an altogether different category. But what I want to say to you is that we should pay close attention to those stricken words of the Father. For his words present to us, I think, the very personification of a bruised reed 
and the smoking flax. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, he said. I do believe. That's why I'm here. There is no help anywhere else but at the feet of the Lord Jesus. I believe, but Lord, my faith is so small. Help my unbelief. You see that what is in view in this passage, the bruised reed he will not break, the smoking flax he will not quench, what is presented to us here. It is so beautiful. Indeed, it's beyond the power of words to even attempt to convey what is being communicated. It is the tender, compassionate posture of the heart of the Lord Jesus toward people who need him. They may not be whole. They may not be strong. They may not have a great deal of understanding. They may be crippled and handicapped and afflicted in so many, many ways. But the point is not that they're adequate for him or measure up to him, but that those who need him find him perfectly sufficient for them. That's the message of the gospel, the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ to save all sinners who fall before him in repentance and faith. He rules over all affairs, not only the affairs of this world, but of the vast universe. He is very God, a very God. He can be angry. The psalmist tells us that God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7 verse 11. And those who shake their fist, as it were, and defy him, and who will not heed his command to repent and believe in his name for salvation, these are the objects of his wrath. But blessed be the name of the Lord that the picture given us here is that one that recurs and it repeats itself over and over again throughout the gospel accounts, it is the picture of the great and good shepherd, of the great physician who has at his disposal the power to heal and to mend broken souls and fading spirits. The Lord Jesus will not break the bruised reed. He will not quench the smoking flax. He will not snuff out that guttering wick. The Puritan Richard Sibbs, perhaps the most famous of all of his works that he wrote, The Bruised Reed and the Soul's Conflict, was appointed as a preacher for the chapel of Gray's Inn in London. It was a law school, and it is so to this very day. And it is said that on one occasion he offered a word in season spoken to Thomas Goodwin, another famous Puritan, early in Goodwin's life when he was leaning towards Arminian theology. Sib said to Goodwin, he said, Young man, young man, if you would do good, you must preach the gospel and the free grace of God in Christ Jesus. 
It is said that that word of counsel was the sibs, a nail in a sure place. And no reader of Goodwin needs to be told how fully and how magnificently he sets forth the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But Sibs describes for us what the prophet Isaiah and our Lord Jesus Christ have in view here. Listen to this carefully. I'm just reading from him. I can't do better than, than Sibs, so listen to Sibs. This bruised reed is a man that for the most part is in some misery as those were that came to Christ from, for help. And by misery is brought to see sin, the cause of it. For whatever pretenses sin makes, yet bruising or breaking is the end of it. He is sensible of sin and misery, even unto bruising, and seeing no help in himself, is carried with restless desire to have supply from another with some hope, which a little raises him out of himself to Christ, though he dares not claim any present interest of mercy. This spark of hope being opposed by doubtings and fears arising from corruption makes him as a smoking flax so that both these together, a bruised reed and a smoking flax, make up the state of a poor, distressed man. Such a one, our Savior Christ terms poor in spirit. Matthew 5 verse 3 who sees want, and with that sees himself indebted to divine justice, and no means of supply from himself or the creature, and thereupon mourns, and upon some hope of mercy from the promise and example of those that have obtained mercy, is stirred up to hunger and thirst after it. Dear people, it is to such a man or a woman that our Lord Jesus Christ reveals himself as mighty to save. And dear people, let us never forget, and this is so important as I bring this to a close, this is so important because I think we tend to forget some of the basic things of the gospel. But it is this, what the Lord Jesus is to us in our initial coming to him. He remains, he ever remains in the ongoing reality of our Christian experience. And there are times when we come to him again and again as a bruised reed and as a smoking flax. And ever and ever again, we find him to be the very same to us in the plentitude of mercy and grace as he mends, restores, and heals our brokenness. That's what Jesus does in the gospel. And that's why it says in that hymn that you and I are about to sing, Venture on him, venture holy. Let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus. None but Jesus can do sinners good. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Fathers, we bow in your presence. We confess, O oh God, that we can identify with bruised reeds and 
gathering wicks. And we thank you for your holy word and the grace and the comfort revealed to us in the gospel. We praise you for a mighty and yet a very tender Savior, our great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who was touched with the feeling of our infirmities in the days of his flesh. And how we thank you that when we enter into seasons of severe sorrow and trial and pain and hurt and death, when dark providences have buffeted us with their mystery and pain from one side to the other, and we move from heartache to heartbreak that threaten to overwhelm, and overwhelm us, that in such circumstances the Lord Jesus becomes the one who does not break the bruised reed or snuff out the guttering wick. We pray, O Lord, for any among us this night who need in a special way to derive help and comfort from this your word. May they be enabled by the power of your spirit to run to the Lord Jesus Christ and that every blessing purchased by his blood would be applied to them this evening. Oh, Father, that they may embrace the tender mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ to comfort them in their trials and to communicate to them the hope that is theirs, knowing that the sufferings of this present time that they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Lord, seal your word to our hearts, we ask, and may the blessings of your grace rest upon us and abide with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.